0: Hey, I'm Gareth. I'm Bex. And we do a podcast called Gareth's Random Ramblings,
1: which follows two Kiwis and their random thoughts living in Australia.
0: And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, and basically anywhere podcasts come out of your devices.
1: Now, proud members of the No Phony Podcast Network. to Empty Seats. This is a weekly podcast where we get together and talk about the things we love to watch. Most of the time it's going to be science fiction, fantasy, horror, and superhero shows, mm-hmm. but today it's going to be a, a different kind of a hero <laughs> for, <laughs> for some. We are actually going to dive into The Last Dance, <laughs> yep. the documentary about Michael Jordan.
0: Well, that's actually a bit of controversy because is the documentary about Michael Jordan or is it about Michael Jordan's Bulls? And mm. I think it does. I think I think it interestingly skews where I think it it it, it advertises itself as a documentary about the you know the Chicago Bulls and their dynasty, and then it kind of like skews and quickly reverts to just being a doc about Jordan, which is totally fine with me. I have no problem with that.
1: I agree. It reminds me when people. This is kind of veering into a, a different topic, but I won't stay there. I promise, Eric. <laughs> is um, when people say, well, who belongs to the Justice League? You're like, well, isn't it just Superman? And Because Superman is so much more powerful than every other member of that mm-hmm. league, and I'm not saying the Bulls are totally in that camp. I think Scottie Pippen was pretty good, and we're just hitting the gas pedal right away, but uh, Michael Jordan is like Superman, and the rest of the team is like the rest of the Justice League. They kind of have their moments, but they would be nowhere without Michael Jordan, and so we'll get to a lot of this, but I should probably get some of the credits out of the way before we, we get too frothy at the mouth here and just keep it rolling. Yep. <laughs> okay, so uh, The Last Dance is a 10-part documentary. It was dropped two episodes at a time on ESPN Sunday nights, and it was directed by Jason Hare? How do you I think say it's that name? Jason
0: Hare, but I honestly don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who cares about
0: the directors of documentaries anyway? Let's be honest.
1: Who you know before this? Who actually even cared about documentaries until this came out? Um, I know that. <laughs> I don't know. There's
0: a lot of Tiger King fans who would have. Uh,
1: oh. <laughs> right, we even we even <laughs> reviewed that, so that's not even valid. Um, although I wouldn't compare Joe Exotic to Michael Jordan in any way, shape, or form. Even though there are demons, how did you like that?
0: I was about to say. Eh, he was. They're both pretty manipulative and arguably bullies. Um, but you're right. That's about it, though. You're right.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of. <laughs> he doesn't fall into the into the places that Joe did. Um, he didn't land up and end up in prison, which is always good for mm-hmm. a player that we all grew to love for different reasons. So this 10-part series covers the Chicago Bulls. It covers their last championship season, which capped off. The second three peat. So the Bulls had two three peats. They did not have a six peat. So I did remember, <laughs> I have to correct that. I heard, heard it stated on the other podcast, like a six peat. No, they did a couple of three peats. It was still great. Um, not many teams win three championships in a row and not many teams win six championships total for an era, uh, putting it in context. I guess i I should do this. the Boston Celtics won they did an eight peat back in the sixties. <laughs> I'm not sure that anything prior to nineteen eighty counts in sports um but I'm sure old timers will hear that statement and throw up in their mouths, but there are teams that have won a lot of championships back in their day but i'm not th- I'm not sure there's many teams that looked as good doing it as the Bulls did in the nineties did they Eric
0: Oh God no, and I think um. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. Uh, my, it wasn't even so much the balls. It was really just Michael Jordan and how supremely, um, talented he was compared to everyone else. And it wasn't, it wasn't like there was a lack of talent in those, in those leagues, in that league, because there was plenty of Hall of Famers, plenty of All-Stars, and some of the all-time greats that he systematically dismantled year by year. Um, and, but yeah, you're right about the three-peats. It's, uh, I think it's good to add that they won six titles in eight years, and the two years they lost when Jordan wasn't playing because he retired, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um,
1: right. And the
0: last the last three-peat, I believe, after that, since then, has been uh, Kobe's Lakers. Uh, I think it was Kobe and Shaq's Lakers. They won three in a row, and then Kobe won five because he won two more with Pau Gasol, and then lost, I think, that must have been 2008 when they lost the last one to the uh, Boston Celtics. Um But yeah, I mean... I'm super stoked about this and it's, uh, it's just, I'm really happy that they got this because it was, it, this documentary was supposed to debut in June or I think uh, mid to late June, mm. but then, you know, Corona happened and there's, we're just starved for sports content. And other than this last dance documentary, the only thing that's really been, that we could really watch is like the German pro soccer league called the Bundesliga <laughs> and Considering I care, I don't care at all about soccer, about, uh, European soccer. I'm, this, this became something of a national event where everyone got to watch it on Sunday night because, well, there was nothing else to watch. And just like, and it's really kind of funny because Michael Jordan became such a singular, um, like person and event in American culture and the way he even transformed our culture here and then also, Mm -hmm. uh, internationally Mm -hmm. that I think it, I think, I'm I'm curious to see if this had debuted in June and there wasn't this whole pandemic if it would have been as um I guess important to this moment as to our cultural in, in this moment as it would have been if there was no pandemic so that we are all stuck at home and we can kind of mm-hmm. uh kind of come together and watch the greatness that was Michael Jordan.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I think that it became bigger because there was less to watch. And I also think that they thought this through and timed it in such a way that without a pandemic, it would have lined up pretty well as two, because it would have been LeBron going back potentially to his 10th. Yeah, he's been to nine <laughs> NBA yeah. finals. He could have gone back to well, his 10th. Leonard
0: might have something to say about that.
1: Yes, <laughs> um, although I'm a Lakers fan, and I, I do say that I'm not loudly and proudly uh, especially after this documentary. <laughs> but, but I will say that, um, it would have lined up pretty well, but I think this is absolutely great timing and you can't really plan for stuff like this to happen. And I hope nobody's planning for this to happen, but it, t- <laughs> it turns
0: out conspira- this is our conspiracy is that the whole <laughs> pandemic was just so that the last dance can get some, can get more views.
1: That's where we need to actually, we need to write these down because is there another league that has more conspiracy theories than the NBA? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure,
0: I'm sure, baseball. uh baseball doesn't have too many. Theirs all came to light with the steroid era. And then, NBA, NFL. I mean, it, they're not so much conspiracies as there are poorly kept secrets. And yeah. that goes along with like their their uh, like drug abuse policies and then their other kind of some of the controversies they had with uh, domestic abuse.
1: I mean. Everything, even just looking at the Bulls, think of the conspiracy theories they covered in this. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead in the outline. I probably am. I mean, we are. We are, but who cares? Okay, so, so here, conspiracy theory. Jordan was out all night gambling before the Knicks series, Mm -hmm. and that's why they lost because he was worn out and tired, and his gambling problem, the conspiracy theorists insensitively and in major error. Conspired and thought that that led somehow to Michael Jordan's father dying. Yeah, I mean, you just look anywhere in the NBA, the, a call like a referee's—they are all paid off. That whole narrative was floating mm-hmm. around for years in the NBA. Um, Jordan had the flu the final game, but it turns out he had bad pizza. I mean, you just—it's everything is cons, and then the pizza was somehow tainted by five delivery people. <laughs> <laughs> from <Utah. I> mean, <laughs> there are so many little narratives here but that's a, a regression and a digression in one
0: well i mean so the, i think one of the topics of it that is discussed about this doc is how much they were telling the truth and how much they were lying or just fudging it like for instance that pizza story i mean is it true that that's that's how it went and he had a p ordered a pizza from one pizza place at like three in the morning and he ate the whole thing and it's like oh maybe he got food poisoning from the pizza because the people poisoned it or maybe he got food poisoning because he ate a whole goddamn pizza at three in the morning you know it's just it's tough to know because jordan i think jordan was actually very honest for the most part um there there may have been a few things where he wasn't so much and then obviously uh, going with the gambling and the big conspiracy around his uh career is that he didn't actually retire he was suspended for 18 months by i, know, I know, by all Davis of and like I would say that before I saw this doc, I kinda would I didn't believe it, but I was kinda like, Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of what happened or maybe Stern was threatening him with it and so he just said, Screw it, I'm retiring and but then you but then you get into the documentary and they talk about all the build up between him having his body and mind breaking down from three straight from completing his first uh three peat and how much that physically and mentally took a a toll on him and then also the mental toll from being like the number one you know celebrity in in America if not the world and then also just and on top of that his father also being brutally murdered um you can then you can really understand oh well if I was him yeah I'd probably retire too because all this horrible stuff just happened at once and he kind of just needs to step away from it all and it really sounded like it was exactly what he needed and I mean there's more reason for me to
1: love him. Yeah. It kind of feeds if we if we make a slight bridge back to our outline. <laughs> and it would be – what makes it – the question really is, like, to, to start our conversation, because we want to actually start off and put a frame around this, and then we'll dive back into this. What makes a good documentary, Eric, mm-hmm. besides the topic? Like, in this, we can just say, well, it's a great documentary because everybody loves Michael Jordan – Mm-hmm. But what would be a more thoughtful answer from your end? What makes a good documentary?
0: Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, there's a, there's a few points, but I was going to say the thing that makes a good documentary is the topic. You know, I mean, if you're trying to talk about, you know, stocks from the 50s to the 60s, you do a documentary on that, or, or like a documentary in the history of, you know, couches. You know, like that's obviously not going to be very um, intriguing, and you're not going to be super interested in it. So I think first and foremost it is the topic, and this is obviously a huge topic. Um, and then with documentaries, it's it's several things. It's pacing. It's how it's uh, how you pace the episodes and how you pace the story. And so I think this documentary did a really interesting choice where really the the, the show was centered around this final season, this last dance of the '97-'98 uh, championship season, and and then they would just jump. Back, back to like, you know, the 80s and showing Michael grow, or the 60s, watching Michael grow up, or watching Dennis Rodman, or Scottie Pippen, and kind of going through their own histories, and then we kind of just jump from, from timeline to timeline, and I don't know, at first that was kind of confusing to me, uh, and I didn't like it at first, but then as the season, as the season went on, I really, I actually was fine with it, cause I got used to it. Um, and I would say the last, one Not the last thing, but one of the other things I can think of is uh, just the level of interviews you have. I mean, mm. if you don't get the right people to talk about a subject, there's almost no point in making the documentary. And that's actually the big uh, thing about this Jordan doc is that it's basically been in production or something like this has been in production for 15 years. And they just could never do it because Michael Jordan just would never do. He would never sit down for the interviews and actually want to talk about this stuff. And so once they finally got him and they actually got him well i think it's like his company essentially produced this documentary and that's once he had sort of control like that he was able to sit down and do it therefore there is a documentary in order to make and so i think those are kind of the most important things of the documentary i don't know would you agree with me or there's anything you wanted to
1: add yeah i would agree with most of that the only thing that like it needs to be informative i think mm-hmm. some people they want to be they want to get information um there needs to be some kind of emotional draw to it, so either you love somebody in the documentary, or there's a group of people you hate—not to use the H word—and then you're figuring out what drives that, what drives that that behavior that you hate so much. I think that can be very interesting. Um, but I think it it depends on the topic too. I like real crime, and some people like real crime because they just like the drama of it. I like real crime because I like the, in, I, I want to learn something. I want to learn something technical, something analytical mm-hmm. about how, how you, they gather the evidence, how they put piece the evidence together, the pathology, uh, victimology, um, how the, the victim tells you more information that will lead to an arrest and the capture of a criminal than a lot of times what you'll see in a, in a, in a show that's portraying that in a tv show so for me it's information i like to see the information now for this i think the information comes from like you said and i totally agree the great interviews mm-hmm. and i think it also comes from the access because they had a camera following the team that last year and i think they had an un- unprecedented access i think is how they <laughs> labeled it
0: i love when shows say that by the
1: way i know it's you know what? We're granted unprecedented,
0: unprecedented access to the locker room, like never we are,
1: before. We're gonna give our fans unprecedented access to our inner thoughts about this show. It's gonna be first. Oh, that was funny for me, but probably to nobody else. Um, yeah, unprecedented seems to be like the word of the day. Um, it's right up there with olive oil in whole thirty diet, but. We'll keep going here. So this documentary, what did we like? Um, did we think it was paced well? Did it provide information? Um, so we're gonna dive into kind of the framing of this documentary and talk about that a little bit. Uh, Eric, did you like the jumping back and forth between timelines, or and then how the episodes would focus on one of Jordan's teammates? You know, one episode it might be about Scottie Pippen and kind of going a deep dive there or another episode they went into kind of more about Bill Jackson. Did you like the way they did that?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to say overall, yes, I did. Um, it was, like I, I said that a minute ago, where it was at first I didn't like the jumping back and forth. I was kind of hoping they would spend a part of the first episode kind of setting you up for that final season, and then they would go back to the start of Jordan's you know, college career or whatever, and then just kind of go on a more chronological timeline, and then... Once they got to the draft, where they got Pippen, then they would kind of go into Pippen's backstory. But as it as it as it went along, I did like how they did. Uh, each episode was like a different uh, teammate, and so the second one was Pippen, and so they took time to show his whole kind of upbringing and his history, and kind of helped you kind of understand some of the motivations for the more controversial decisions he would make later on, because he was arguably the most controversial player, at least in this documentary. And then same with Rodman, and then Phil Jackson. And they saved Phil, Steve Kerr for the second to last episode, which I really, at first I was kind of mad because I kept, I wanted them to talk about him. But then it made more sense because he didn't really get into the mix until the final, uh, three peat Um, so yeah, I'd say overall I liked it. Did you, did you, did you like it? Like how they did it? Or would you like to see it changed?
1: I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Because I like the, the flashbacks and the turning around. It, my, I watched all of this with my wife and my daughter. And I was remembering the scores and games and what happened next. I was calling it out. I was calling it out, Aaron, <laughs> kind of like when you're on a basketball court and you throw that shot up and you you call backboard after it hits the backboard and goes in. <laughs> but in this case, I was, you know, I was able to remember a lot of things, and I like that part of it. I think if they would have showed it straight through, it wouldn't have held the, the, the emotional tension the same way that it did by flipping back and forth. Um, sometimes it's, I think there's shows that do this, like Breaking Bad does it did it all the time in episodes. They would show you something, they'll show you where you're going to end up, and then the, then the episode would start at the beginning that they're, of, the, of the timeline that they were showing in that particular episode, and it was always extremely interesting and i think it creates tension it's a nice strategy it's a nice tool um i don't think it's necessarily a trope because i think not i don't think it's overused as a strategy in documentaries or in shows um but i i tend to i loved it
0: yeah and i mean it's just it was fun to try and go back and try to remember because that that's really what i felt about this doc was more uh, than anything was almost like a nostalgia trip it was um or like a, I guess a throwback might be a good way to put it, where you just get to kind of relive these moments and you get to see uh, the stuff that you remember, the stuff that you don't remember. Because like, so I was born in 1989, so I missed the first few years of his career when he really went at it with Bird and Magic. And then, I'm, and obviously I didn't really know anything about the Bad Boy Pistons and that rivalry. I mean, I knew about it because I watched other documentaries beforehand, but it was really cool to see it again. Um and to see what they would cover and what they wouldn't cover. Like, for one was the, uh, I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was 1988, 1989, maybe. The, the dunk contest he had with, uh, Dominique Wilkins and how important that was to creating him as this kind of star of the NBA and then becoming more of a cultural leader because he just dominated that, that dunking contest like he does everyone else. Like he did everything else. Um, and so it was interesting to see what they chose to put in, what they chose not to put in. And, uh, I think actually, Especially in the first before he started winning championships, my favorite was when they would go to playoff games. Like, uh, the perfect is his first year when he was playing the Celtics. And all he'd have, you know, Larry Bird and all these other people talking about how he was the best player on the floor. And he was just a god among men playing or an alien or whatever. And it would show he had 65, 63 points, I think it was. But then they lost. <laughs> and then so Jordan would have just had these amazing individual performances, but they would just always lose. And, the way the documentary would, would set it up with, like, the, you know, the score, the way the narrator would tell it, or I guess not the narrator. There wasn't really, it wasn't really a narrator. They would kind of set it up like this is his big success, and then they would lose. And then they got – actually, they lost, like, 4-1 to one in that series and then the next series. And so I think that kind of goes to the next question of, like, if, it was tough to kind of figure out if this was a documentary about the Bulls dynasty or was it more of a documentary about Michael Jordan? And, I mean, obviously I think it went kind of back and forth, but overall I think this is this really just became a, um, a Michael Jordan documentary or like a Michael Jordan victory lap almost, which I have no problem with.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was absolutely a Michael Jordan victory lap. And I will uh, contend with a statement you made, and that is that, that uh, Jordan totally dominated that dunk contest. I think what made the dunk contest incredible was that it was actually pretty close. Yeah, until he did the jump from the free throw line thing, which kind of was a microcosm of Michael Jordan. It, he was like, especially leading up to the championship years and then and then had, did a lot of teams like teams would kind of hang around a little bit. And you think, oh, they might be able to do this because at the end of the day, he's just a scorer. And I thought the documentary did a nice. I'm all over the place here. I do apologize to you, my fans and to most most of all my family. But they, they showed how he went from a, a scorer to a team player. But in that slam dunk contest, once he did that final dunk, of course, then he won the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it also shows you how the NBA has changed a lot, too, because who cares about the slam dunk contest anymore? <laughs> right? I mean, no one cares about that. No one cares about the All-Star game. Um, nobody cares about all that stuff. Uh, am I right in saying that? Like, nobody cares about these things?
0: Yeah, I mean, the dunk contest has lost a lot of its prestige mainly because the best players don't do it anymore. Uh Like the running joke has been that ever since LeBron came into the league, everyone's wanting him to do the dunk contest, but he just he just refuses to do it. And so like the best dunk dunk contests are uh, players are basically one trick ponies are not one trick ponies like Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine are kind of the best, and they're not really that. But um. Yeah, and then the All-Star Game, the same thing. is Really, up until this last All-Star Game, which took place in Chicago, coincidentally, oh. uh, the All-Star Game was kind of worthless, almost. And
1: mm-hmm. then,
0: I can't remember the, the rule they put in, but they changed the way they did it in the All-Star Game so that in the fourth quarter isn't a timed quarter. Instead, you have a set uh, point to- score you got to get to for the game to end. And so that actually breeds some actual competitive life into the end of the All-Star Game and actually made it fun to watch. And so... I'll be fun to see um, if they keep doing that heading forward, but um, yeah, I I think just the thing that they were really trying to say with Jordan was he was just such a one-man show that it didn't matter what the venue was. Like You would go to see him. I mean, there was one quote from one of the fans where he's like, I got offered $2,000 for these tickets for Jordan's first game back from retirement. He says, I wouldn't trade it for the end of the world. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, I'm not that guy in that moment, but I would absolutely sell those tickets for $2,000 and then go watch the game on TV because
1: that's a lot of money. <laughs> that kind but, of speaks to the to this I just railroaded you there but that speaks to it. Like I feel like has culture changed that much or is it just that we just don't have a star like him anymore but the dunk contest isn't the dunk contest cuz you don't have a Jordan. Mhm. Um people aren't I'm trying to think of anything close to that. Like what th- has been even close to that? Maybe even with the Patriots, it doesn't feel like a Jordan thing.
0: No, I mean Tom Brady you could argue is the great is the goat of uh the NFL, which I mean we could argue that for days if we wanted to, but the I think it's just different because especially also in baseball, even where it's it's so hard for a single player to take over a game the way that you can <laughs> in basketball. And but even then, like the documentary does a pretty good job of showing about how even he could have these amazing single performances, but they'd still lose the series or still lose the game. And it wasn't until he got the right pieces around him that he was able to break out and finally start winning titles. Um, and that's, I, th- I think the document did a pretty good job of, of, of showing how the teams were put together more or less. Um, I think it was, was it the second season where he got hurt? He broke his foot and he was out for most of the year. And then they put him on the minutes restriction and he wanted to go in at the end of a game against the Indiana Pacers, and he was super angry that he couldn't because the coach would get fired. And then John Paxson was able to hit the game-winning three, and he was still fired up about that. And and I mean, I think that just speaks to that, and I, I mean, think that's probably why they showed the, the teammates so much.
1: Nowadays, they would label that as just selfish and stupid, like the way Jordan was, you know, really wanting to go in, and and yeah, it led to his 63 point. Mm. You know, scoring barrage in Boston, but they still lost. Yeah, I mean, so, you know what I mean? I was, like I, maybe mm-hmm. the oh, what were you we gonna say? So what I was gonna
0: say is that the thing about Jordan is that he was he was the only person who's able to do that. Where it's the term now is called hero ball, where essentially <laughs> you just yeah, it's it's where you just start taking you just take all the shots, you control the you hold the ball all the time on offense, and you become that snob on the court. And the thing is, is that Jordan is the only person who could do that and get away with it because he would actually score and win the game. And then that actually influenced the next generation of basketball players like, you know, Carmelo Anthony or uh, Kevin Durant or all these other guys and how they play basketball. Or I guess, yeah, Kobe Bryant. And um, it was a good thing and a bad thing because it because it created a player like Kobe Bryant or a player like Allen Iverson. But then you also have all these other people who would try to play hero ball but then couldn't do it because they didn't have the talent or they didn't have the skill or the work ethic to be able to complete it. And we're just now kind of getting away from that, I guess, in, in, in basketball where people really understand that the, the, the team sport aspect of it. But I also think the, the, the renewed importance of the three in the NBA today is honestly is, is the bigger thing. That's kind of like the next phase after hero ball. That kind of took over the league for like 10, 15 years.
1: Yeah, I... I think that I, <clears throat> just picking on something you said earlier, I agree with it 100%. I think Jordan was both a great thing for the NBA because every franchise probably quadrupled in value, if not more, mm-hmm. during his tenure. But it also created a lot of really selfish players with really bad basketball for a long time. And you can't say that it, you, I mean, it's probably too much of a stretch to, to say that it's one player's fault. But he did have, have, he did have such an influence on the game. And it's not very compelling basketball where you mug people and you either shoot a three or dunk it. Like, and Jordan didn't do that. He shot, he had a really good mid-range game. He was a good defender. He didn't always mug people, even though it seemed like he did from time to time. And I think that for a while, that's everybody was trying so hard to emulate that that the, the it just wasn't as good basketball. I think the best basketball was the stretch when mm-hmm. Dr. J was still good, Bird mm-hmm. was becoming great and Magic was becoming great. Krim abdul Jabbar was still in the league. And then you had these players that had like stretches of out of world play, like Moses Malone and some of these guys would rise up. And then when it when it went from there and transitioned into Jordan, that whole stretch there was awesome. And then there was like this other stretch that was a little bit different. But I'm once again, all over the place. Is this about Michael Jordan, this documentary? Absolutely. They tried to balance it, I think, by how they structure the episodes, by going into the background on some of these different coaches and teams. I mean, the coach, the general manager, a couple of the players, the, the big players. I think that was a a way to try and structure it so it didn't seem like a complete Michael Jordan fan fest. Um, And I think for the most part, it did slow the train down enough so that we kept interested and and we felt like we were being informed and learning more. Or we were just kind of nostalgia, pulled into the nostalgia of it. Um, Did you think any of it was that you would change any of the structure of the documentary or anything about the way they, they laid things out, Eric?
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. It's kind of hard because it's the one person I I would consider changing was Dennis Rodman because the third episode was pretty much his episode, and obviously they went through his history and his upbringing and how you know much of a hard time he had, uh, in growing up and then especially in college and then in the pros. And I think it did a really good job of focusing him. And then when it got back to like the present day, you know, '98 season about how since Pippen was out for most of the year with the uh, with a like a ruptured Achilles I think it was something crazy like that a ruptured tendon that uh Rodman became the number 2 guy for Jordan he became the guy that Jordan had to rely on and that really motivated Rodman and then when Scottie came back Rodman kind of just said screw it and went back to just not really trying or being super motivated to play and it it, it really did good put it did a good job putting a, a spotlight on him but then after that episode, you almost don't hear about Rodman at all, except for mm-hmm. like when he would just disappear for for a week and just go, you know, on a drinking and partying binge and go on the WWE like, and, you know, midway through the finals, which was, by the way, an awesome story and no, something no one could ever do in this day and age with like Twitter no. and all that I mean, just imagine catching LeBron James in between games like, oh, yeah, he went and appeared on WWE and is, you know. Just <laughs> with all these like porn star actresses or something like that, and it's just like, uh, it's just so funny. He was, he was a very singular, uh, character, and um, yeah, I guess that, that's about it. But uh, I don't know. Would you? Was there anything you did not like about how kind of how they approached the other players in the team, or if there's someone something they missed and should have added?
1: Yeah, I think um, what you, what you learn over the years. Um, this is for the younglings out there. This is for the those younger than me who are still fresh and impressionable, um, history is not so much history as it is a retelling through the lens of a, another individual. And I think the younger generation, in a weird way, understands this better than, than we do, which is ironic uh, based on what I just said, but <laughs> is that there's so much misogyny and white male um, slant to every almost every historical account, that we didn't start to, to flush out some of the truth about the history of this country or the history of, of the different parts of this country, different people in this country until much later on. And so documentaries and, and historians, that it's not a true telling of what actually happened. Their job is to entertain at the end of the day. And in doing so, I do think that they paint some people in a negative light that I wonder if it was quite as bad as it looked. And I know the narrative around Scotty Pippen has been well, he's sat out and he's selfish, and why didn't he go in in that game? And Kuko it's the winner and, and lets him off the hook, and you know, the center is crying and everybody's upset, and he's just a selfish player, and you know, wah, wah, wah. But I think at the end of the day, if you start to break down everything that Pippen balanced and fought with that it was much bigger I think the bigger I, I felt oh. bad for Scotty at times, so I should just say it that way. I should have just said that with all of that build up. Um Yeah. Okay. I thought that Krause um I think if I'm if I'm just trying to look at facts, I think that actually there's good reason for him to feel really good about what he did. I mean he mm-hmm. made the trade to bring Pippin in. If Jordan doesn't have Pippin, does he win a single championship? A single championship. If he doesn't go and get Rodman the second time around, do they win those championships? Like, if he doesn't retool and get Bill Cartwright and and ship out Oakley um, before the first repeat, do they win those championships? So I feel like Krause did a lot. And I think players with big egos and who love to have all the light shining on them, especially when they're winning, Will always try and point to their their rights and their right to have control and be able to decide and do wah wah wah. But leadership is important. Like the organization is important. And just look at some of these teams that have been around for 50 years and have done nothing. Like they have not even sniffed a championship. <laughs> and it's about ownership and organization. And I think um, Krauss at some points was was painted in such a way where that was acknowledged, but kind of overlooked by the stardom and kind of the egocentric uh, perspective that was placed on the players and so i think you do that for a reason because you got to get back to to your very first point which i think is a valid one and that is the topic matters and this topic this is make no mistake this is a michael jordan documentary so you're not going to you're going to be kind of coming up short when you want to, Mike, um, when you want Krauss and others to look good. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when the answer is so simple at the end, like, why didn't you just let them play another year? Yeah. The answer to that is just yes, right? It's just a mistake. Like, just do it. <laughs> it's a mistake. And yeah. I guess it would have been better if he would have just got on Mike and said, this is the biggest mistake of my career. Uh, we won six and I'm glad we did. And, you know, I wasn't on the floor for any of those, but, you know, we should have rolled dice again, so I apologize to the fans and if you would have done that, maybe I don't know people don't always buy apologies but so some of the times I thought that they kind of um, depicted some of the play some of the characters in the you know, with pretty negative light um, and maybe it's because they actually did some really stupid things and you, that's just the way it goes
0: <laughs> well I, so I just want to get back to the two points you were kind of making where it was Scotty. And I think this goes back to what you were saying also about history and who gets to, you know, how we remember history. The thing about history is that it's largely how you interpret it. And so you can see um, how Scottie Pippen sitting out that, that crucial play in the playoffs when Jordan wasn't there because uh, Phil made the play for Tony Kugosh to make the shot and not him. And obviously you can d- demonize him for it and show how how much of a horrible teammate he is and how he gave up because he made it about himself, which he absolutely did, by the way. He did all those things. It was completely the wrong move, and he should have been demonized and for it. Um, but I think the good thing about this documentary is it did a really good job of kind of showing you the lead-up and his mindset going into it, and also, even more importantly, after it, where everyone in the Bulls locker room was just morally or their morale was just destroyed. and There was shell-shocked that Scottie Pippen, who's considered one of the best teammates of all time, can make such a selfish decision, and then he, and then they have Pippen able to apologize and say, like, I'm sorry, I screwed up, which is, like, that is very humanizing, like, guess what, people screw up, like, Michael Jordan screw, screws up sometimes, too, and, um, and, or Scottie Pippen does, and then getting back to Krause, it even when I, I, I was a kid, when the Jordan Bulls were on their run, I even knew that Jerry Krauss was kind of the bad guy, and, they definitely did that in this series where they made him out to be kind of the bad guy and kind of just did the the guy who was standing in in the in the Bulls way, in Michael Jordan's way from winning even more championships and you you definitely get the feeling like if Jordan and Pippen and them were able to kind of reconcile with Kraus and have a better professional relationship, then maybe they could have tried to go for that 7, maybe they could have tried to go for even more, but that's not how it was. And Jerry Krause for one reason or another was became really um stuck on the idea that it wasn't the players that were the most important part, it was the organization. And I guess I can understand that when Jordan is getting all this fame, all this attention, all this praise and credit, and Krause is sitting there like, I've constructed this dynasty that is, you know it, yes, I had the greatest player of all time, but I also had to put these pieces around him. So I think in some cases he was demonized, but then also in some cases he was he was vindicated because you know they don't win, like you said, they don't win without Scottie Pippen, and he drafted Scottie Pippen. They don't win without Bill Cartwright, and he was the one who traded for Bill Cartwright, or Steve, or getting Steve Kerr, or getting Dennis Rodman, or Tony Kukoc, and that's just, it's just. I, I, so I, I want to say I really liked how the documentary did that about how they really did at first make Krause be the villain, but then they didn't just have him just be this one style villain. They showed you how he was still should get a lot of credit for what happened.
1: Yeah, and it's like getting back to Pippen, like to me this a contradiction, like so Scottie Pippen, he wasn't like if he was such a horrible teammate, Mm -hmm. he would have been booted off that team. So I think it says a lot about his character that he made a mistake like that and bounced back. Mm -hmm. Like how many Great players, I mean, I'll pick a—if you start naming names, it just doesn't compare because, I, I mean, <laughs> Pippin is one of the greatest of all time. And that's yeah. another thing. He's considered—he's on lists in the top 50 greatest power yep. or small forwards of all time.
0: No, he's, so, no, top 50, no, top 50 players of all time. Okay, thank heard, you. They, they did a list, like, it was, must have been 10 years ago where he was in the top It was pretty controversial that he was in the top 50, but you could easily make the argument that he, that he should be.
1: Yeah, so he's in the top 50 of all time. So, I think what's controversial here is then why does Jordan stick the dagger in, which feels ego driven, like, oh, Scotty's never going to live this down. <laughs> like, you know what? It's like you could get, you could go tit for tat and back and forth on all of that. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, now, number one, Scotty made a huge, his big mistake was that he cared more about defeating Tony Kukoc in the Olympics, which at the end of the day, I mean, you get a gold medal, but I guess it matters, but I was going to say it didn't matter. But at the time, they they painted it as if it really did matter, and it really bolstered the game of basketball to become an international sport, and wah, 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 wah. But if you paid more attention to your contract with the Bulls, and you didn't sign a seven-year, $18 million contract, if instead of you know standing over Patrick Ewing, who didn't have any knees at that time, (laughs) instead you stood up on the table and said, no, I'm not signing that. I'm going to go somewhere else if you would have had that kind of like confidence and dominated like there, you wouldn't have the problems you had later. Like that was the, to me, that was the big problem that he ran into. And he was always sick and uh, second fiddle. And at the end of the day, he wasn't able to stand up like Jordan and say, well, I'm just going to walk away for two years and no one else was going to back him up either. Right? Like he's, he's, So that's the difference there. Like, it's one thing for Jordan to say, well, you're never going to live that down. But he also didn't have the same, um, I don't know what it is. He didn't have the cred that Jordan had either. He didn't have the choices Jordan had. Um,
0: what I want to say say about Pippen Pippen to that is he, I mean, he couldn't, he had such a horrible contract and you could understand why he signed it when he signed it. Right. And that created, but that just created so much animosity between organization, between the front office and the players. And that's that's all on Jerry Reinsdorf, who is the owner of the Chicago Bulls. He he told Scottie Pippen this was a bad contract when he signed it, but that he has this policy where he never renegotiates contracts. And it's like, okay, are you an idiot? Like you've made billions of dollars off this team, and you know off of Jordan, but you gotta also understand that he probably Jordan isn't as great without Pippen. And you're not even gonna try to renegotiate this contract. That is clearly—it's pissing off Pippen so much that he sits out an entire, like almost an entire regular season because he just because he doesn't he gets paid enough. And he is at the point where he is a you know, a, a verbally and emotionally abusing Jerry Krause on the tour bus on a, on the bus to and from games. And it's like that's that is that in itself is bad management. And sure, like Pippen was being a bit immature, and he should have. Just owned up to it, and been a been a better teammate. But the other thing is, you guys see it from his perspective, which I think they tried to do, where he did so much for the Bulls, he gave them so much, and he got shafted in return. And in for return, they basically they're like, "Yeah, tough luck. This is your contract, even though it's you know incredibly unreasonable." And all he wanted was just to be compensated fairly. So it's, back then in the '90s, I could understand why they wouldn't re- renegotiate that contract. And you could argue that the things that he did were ahead of his time. And, cause, I mean, it was, you know, Anthony Davis, who just, just last season, he sat out pretty much the entire second half of the season, cause he just didn't want to play for the Pelicans anymore. He wanted to go play for the Lakers. And, um, now that's like, it's, if, if back then in Scotty's time, Scotty would have been destroyed for that. Today, if you were to do something like that, you'd, you'd have it both ways, and honestly, you'd be more on the player side of that. Where you'd be kind of with him, be like, yeah, guess what? You know, like he should get paid more because he's arguably the second best player in the entire league. Um but I think it just does a really good job of showing um all sides of the argument, you could argue, you could say. Uh, yeah. Except yeah, you're right. Cross. yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, Silvercross. I I mean you nailed it and I'll I'll get off of the subject now when I say my last piece on Pippin, like he that's all he has. Like at the end of the day, in Jordan, there's two points where he belittles Pippin and the second time was his selfishness in another area. He called it selfish. Well, that's because Jordan is looking through his legacy, the lens of him developing a legacy of being the greatest of all time. And if you're not for me, you're against me. That's pretty much it. That's the mantra. Mm-hmm. But if you're a player like Pippin, who the only leverage he has is to sit out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, So the second time is when Jordan says, well, he could have had the operation sooner. Well, if he had an Achilles tendon injury, you know, doctors would be the true judge of all that as far as how long it would take for him to come back. Mm-hmm. But if he chose to not play, which I think he says in the documentary that's what he did, he chose to do it later just to rub whatever Krauss in the organization the wrong way for how he was treated, that's the only leverage he has. He doesn't have any other way to try and get his contract to change. And then when he realizes that they're not going to trade him and they're not going to do anything different, then he plays. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, look at Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he sat on an entire season because he didn't want to play for the Steelers anymore. Um, like you said, Anthony Davis in the NBA—that's what players do now. And yeah, anyway. But Kraus, yeah, Kraus—that never really does get.
0: Well, so pass. I guess I, I want to keep. I want to keep adding. Let's just keep yeah. adding because what I wanted to say about that with Jordan is people say it's him ripping on Pippen. It's like it's not. And it's it's uh, it's an older Jordan realizing that he can't win it all on his own because. If you take, you know, Jordan's first five, six, or whatever years of his, or I guess before he retires, that Jordan, he would have been mad that Pippen's gone, but he would probably would have been like, yeah, I'll, I'll just win it myself with my, you know, freakish athleticism and crazy competitive drive. But then, you know, post-retirement Jordan going into that last final season, I mean, he's what 36, 37. His body is weak. Like he's he's hurt. Like he knows that he just can't do it like he used to, and he needs that. He needs Pippen with him. Not only to help him win the championship, but just to get through the season, because it's a long 82 game season. I mean, even players today can't have have trouble getting through the whole season. And so Jordan wasn't so much. I mean, it's not even like he was trying to be mean the way he said it. He was just like, "Yeah, like I think it was the wrong call because they." It goes against what Jordan's primary drive, which is to win at all costs. And Pippen, for the most part, that was his drive. But then he let all that personal crap get into him. But guess what? Pippin wasn't getting paid a hundred million dollars by Nike every year. You know, it's just, so it was, it was just different, different situations, different people. And I can yeah. understand both sides. And I totally, and I just, it just shows how much thought Jordan put into the game and the people around him, especially at the end. And it's just really, it makes him even much better, a much better hero than I even remember.
1: Yeah. So where were you? Let's set the content. Let's set the context here. Where were you? If we're setting the stage where we're just going to be free flowing and talking about our opinions, what we liked, what we didn't like, ups and downs of this documentary. Where were you when the Bulls won their very first title against the Lakers? Shoot.
0: Um, I was either, what year did they win? What was that first year? Do you remember?
1: I think it was 91.
0: So if it was 91, um, I was probably at home, um, you know, learning how to walk at that point because I was <laughs> maybe two years old.
1: Okay. Yeah. How about so you? I remember I was uh with a group of friends at a, an apartment high rise in downtown St. Paul, Minnesota, and I was in my right. mid twenties, mm-hmm. and we were all marveling at John Paxson of all people because. He was the one guy that if we could emulate his skill set, we might be able to win a couple of pickup games at a local basketball court because none of us are gonna be dunking the basketball on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so he he tended to be the player that we were trying to, to uh imitate. Um but where were you let's get see if some of these questions will get pull you in a little bit more. Where were you in nineteen ninety six when Jordan came back from retirement? Very yeah,
0: pristine. So 96, I mean, I was seven years old or yeah, I was probably seven years old. So I was probably at school. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> let's be honest, man. Like, so I'll, I'll be perfect. Guys. I don't really remember the last, I don't really remember most of those years except for like bits and pieces. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a kid. I don't remember anything. You don't remember much from your childhood except for really important moments. So, like I remember uh, Jordan's dad dying and that's, I always believed that was the reason he retired and then obviously now I learned that's part of the reason he retired. Um, I remember Space Jam because Space Jam was, was the, the movie that year. Um, and then, um, I really just remember the final two seasons and the final two final seasons in the final series. Um, when they won against, uh, Utah both years. Uh, but yeah. how would you, where were you in 96 when he came back?
1: I was actually working in the liquor department over at the <laughs> Jewel Osco in River Forest. Dang. And I was, yep, I was trying to keep all that liquor stocked. <laughs> I remember I remember uh, buying that newspaper, which I still have out in my garage if anyone's interested. I have that newspaper. I'm back! And it shows him. Uh, good my old dad's probably got cup. somewhere
0: in our garage. In his garage. <laughs> I'd say.
1: And then the last one I was going to ask was in 2000, I think it was 2001. Mm-hmm. He came back with the Wizards. His very first time coming back as a Washington Wizard at the United Center, there was a standing ovation for him. Do you remember that, Eric? I don't.
0: Uh, So I I remember it, but I don't remember it as it happened because I was most likely playing video games because at the time, I didn't care about basketball because the Chicago Bulls were were hot garbage. Um, And so since the Bulls were sucked, I didn't care. Um, But I do remember seeing highlights of the game and then seeing how he did a, like pretty much dominated. Um, but that's uh, that, if that's if I remember click that's that's how it went. But um, how, where were you?
1: I was at where you work and I was in the living mm-hmm. room with the kids watching it as it, it was happening and just like it was one of the most awe inspiring. I know there's so many great moments in his career and it's like, well, that was the one, <laughs> but to me, why it. It rang so true. It was number one, I had been able to go to a couple of games since then. So I'd been, we would get tickets donated to the agency, and I would take kids on Friday nights to games. And we went to a lot of them. We had pretty good seats at times, so I felt a little bit more connected to the environment. But when he came on, when that standing ovation happened, I was like, oh wow, yeah, this just reminds me of just how huge it was when he was playing at the United Center and how much we loved. And everything, we loved everything, not only because he was successful, he was incredibly charismatic, he was a great business person, a great communicator, a great basketball player, <sighs> kind of a whole package, but it was just so great to ride that current in Chicago. And I think a lot of people in Chicago, and I'm not from Chicago, but a lot of people really rode that current and that wave um they could be having a really bad day at work but at least they were a fan of the chicago bulls kind of a thing
0: yeah and i mean the, jordan really started that i i, I want to say he started maybe someone else did but where it became you became that player that became more than just your team it wasn't just you like jordan because he's on the bulls It he became you like michael jordan and you really don't know anything else about basketball and players like Kobe Bryant would do that next, and then LeBron James, and, or like Stephen Curry, I guess today. And he, where he really started that sort of, that, that, that singular, uh, uh, recognition of a player from that sport. And it just shows how impactful he was to the game. And that's, I think, this doc did a really good job of, because you hear about how insanely competitive he was, and how much of a trash talker he was, and, it, be, it became like once in the nineties, once he got into the nineties, the rule became you don't trash talk Michael Jordan because he, you just know that he would remember it and then just torch you the next time he saw you guys. And he ended so many Hall of Fame players' careers, not careers, but just you know destroyed their hopes of winning a championship, like Patrick Ewing or Charles Barkley. Um, I think, I mean, the 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 common belief is that he essentially destroyed Clyde Drexler's career. <laughs> and, I don't know how true that was, but they did a pretty good job of showing how he dismantled all those uh, great players' teams and their dynasties, and and then it also just shows how much of a how, how much of a fierce competitor he was with the sheer level of trash talking, both in games and in practice. which is, I think the most important part is that he just wouldn't stop in practice. He would just—it's almost like you, you you would hear how the people players would describe how he would seek uh, like the weaker players out in practice. And you would think, like, this guy's an asshole. Like, he's a—it's almost like he's, like, like, a, like, an abusive, you know, husband or something, the way he's talking to these people. um, And especially the way they would reminisce about it. But then you'd see the result in which he's not only the greatest player, but he is winning multiple championships and just basically doesn't lose. And you're like, well, maybe it, there is something—there's a method to that type of madness that he had. And really, the only person who understands it is Michael Jordan. And so at some point you just kind of gotta go with, go along with what he's doing or else, you know, go with the trainer, get off of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest, um, downsides of someone being like that is that people who lack the talent, lack the skills, think that they can just take on the, those strategies and be abusive with other people. And that's the thing that makes them. So successful. That's not what made him so successful. Like, he was incredibly skilled. He worked his tail end off to get better at his game. So every year he was adding something to his repertoire. So he was not only athletic, freakishly freakishly athletic, driven. He worked hard and developed a lot of skills. If he would have only had an abusive um you know smack talk or been abusive towards other people right if you hyperbolize that that's not the thing um it was kind of the dagger uh, to be honest because he would work so hard and he w- he did become so good and great he became so great but then the dagger would be he would also like put it in your face with smack talk on top of it and i think that was it was hard to watch um because i think at, at times it was unnecessary and I think he could have, there could have been more grace at times with that. But at the same time, there's players that brought it on themselves by trying to do it to him. And like, why would you do that? Right. <laughs> I think, yeah. And it also I mean, goes to like, well, it's
0: the start of the, the, um, the start of the documentary when he first gets into the league and he's like, you know, I can't trash talk because I haven't proven anything yet. I got, you know, I got, I got to talk with my play and yeah. that's and then he it, it 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 does a great job of showing how he created this identity that became the you know, Michael Jordan where he just just he was he felt he was allowed to trash talk to the level he was or be a bully to the level he was because he was the only person who could actually back it up. And that kinda goes the thing like, is it bragging if you keep winning? You know what I mean? And this is like or something like that. Um and so and
1: I he, was, he wasn't so much bragging as he was just putting it in people's face. Like, yeah. Um and that's what happens though. I mean, you see it in boxing all the time, you see it in UFC. If you can't stop it, then you're going to get pulverized. And Well,
0: the thing is, is with a lot of people it's hype. And especially with boxing and, and like it almost is like with with wrestling too where like they just talk and they almost it's almost like they're monologuing and they're talking about how tough they are and how strong they are. And they're always going to win. That's almost like hyping yourself up or you know, just trying to put on a good show for the fans or even to get your own confidence going. Um, I never saw it that way with Jordan. I just really, like, he really no, did think that yeah, way. You know it what I mean?
1: Yeah, it wasn't hype, no. It wasn't hype, but it, there was a meanness and edge to it. He wasn't just trying to win the game. He was trying to break you. He and, says that multiple
0: times. He's like, I'm trying yeah, to dominate yeah. you mentally and physically. And I'm like, that's kind of messed up. But at the same time, it's kind of what he needed to do.
1: He learned it from the the Pistons, yeah, and that's what the the Pistons did to the Bulls until they got over that hump, and then he kind of took on that that quality as he went forward, because he had to overcome that quality to get to where he, to get to the level of success that he got to, and and that's the thing, like people always talk about, you know, the greatest of all time and skills and all that, and the one thing that we never saw Jordan do is we never saw him fall short when it mattered once mm-hmm. he got good whereas all these other players i mean kobe was like 5 and 8 in championships mm-hmm. um magic was 5 and 4 5 and no 5 and 3 kobe was 5 and 3 so they've lost that they, i won't go through all these records uh, mm-hmm. but jordan didn't he was 6 and 0 oh, and Until, and he didn't just, like you said earlier, you're absolutely correct. He didn't just dominate the guys around his, like other shooting guards and everything. He dominated seven foot centers. Like he was Mm -hmm. rebounding with those guys. He was defending. He was dunking over them. He was, and that's something that you really, you didn't see anything close to that.
0: Yeah. And I think it really just shows, especially like with the Detroit teams that he had to face where, like yeah. they, especially with the Jordan, they talk about the Jordan rules, and they're like, oh, like, they had that one piece where like the assistant coach is talking about if he drives to the baseline, push him back left, or if he goes over here, then thing. But then like the real part of it was basically if he goes into the paint, you you know you knock him in the you knock him into the ground. If he goes into the air, you put him on his ass. And that is just it just really shows how hard it was to score back then because you you can't do that today. Like, yeah. if they tried, like, they, those, all those players would be ejected almost immediately if they tried any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just a different beast. And that was the other thing that was fascinating is seeing the scores of some of these games
1: mm-hmm. where
0: they would be, like, they would win 79 to 77. And you're mm-hmm. like, that was like an, that was like, a, that was like a good offensive performance. You're like, how is that even possible when teams are scoring 77 points and a half these days? And it's just, it's just funny to see how the games evolved over time.
1: Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely a different animal. And that's why it's really hard to compare. Like, it's better. A better comparison now would be to the eighties, eighties yep. basketball because yep. it was more about teamwork. It was more, I mean, yeah, there were tough plays and everything else, but there were the, a lot of the scores were like 118 to 110. And mm-hmm. you know, that was pretty high scoring back then as well. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, if there's, something within this that i wanted to talk about and i'm just kind of skipping over i do i will say like let's talk about some of our favorite parts of the documentary um eric do you want to kick it off what were what was some of the thing some of the things parts of this documentary that you actually enjoyed the most
0: um i want to say like well the thing i was really looking forward to and kind of most anticipating was him retiring and how they would cover it um if it if they're covering of his retirement matched kind of my memory or my belief of it and for the most part i did a really good job of show like i said showing all the facets of why he retired whether it was the the toll of being the number one player in the country in the world and his father dying all that stuff but really what i during his retirement was when they got to the part about when he was filming space jam and they had to create essentially this this um bubble dome that where he was able to practice and with weights and get ready for the next season. And then they show this amazing footage where basically all the greats of the game, all, you know, they're having these little mini all-star games every single day, multiple times a day. And you see like Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, you know, all these other players out there. And you're just like, damn, like <laughs> that would have been amazing to be able to just sit and watch those games. And because it's, it's it takes us, it basically, it looks like a backyard game where they're playing shirts and skins. But then you realize it's the best players in the entire world playing together, and at the same time, it's just like seeing these, um, you know, these 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 figures that are such icons, and allowing them to just be able to play a game like they're normal people, and being able to see it, it was really fascinating. I was, I, I love that part of the documentary.
1: <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite parts. I love a lot of the the intimate moments in the documentary, but one that I, that comes to mind that I thought was hilarious. So they, an, an interviewer was asking Steve Kerr, like, what separates mm-hmm. the Bulls from other teams? And he kind of stumbles for a minute, and he thinks, and his, then his face lights up. And he goes, well, we have Michael. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much sums up the whole documentary. Um, so I thought that was incredible. I liked the reminder from watching this mm-hmm. of just how much of the GOAT he really was like mm-hmm. all those memories just came back and it was like oh yeah that's right those they're trying to make this look compelling but at the time that series was over like mm-hmm. when phoenix lost the first two games of that series it was over i mean in everybody knew it was over including phoenix like when they won the two games in chicago it was kind of like oh we won it's like when you close your eyes and catch a line drive <laughs> like, <laughs> Um and then again when the Sonics played in and, and won a couple of games in the middle there I mean it the series is already over. But it I think that part of it was it was fun to kinda of reminisce in yeah. some of that.
0: No, I, I, I agree. I liked I love the the interviews with Gary Payton and yeah. how he was just like, Yeah, you know, I just gotta gotta tire him out and then Jordan's just like, Yeah, I, I I never worried about Gary Payton or <laughs> something like that and it was just that's actually one of the most enduring thing is sort of his reactions when they'd give him the Mm -hmm. iPad and he'd show like them talking and it's just like, that's so cheap because (laughs) it's so not fair to like get Jordan to be able to react and respond, even though it is can be really candid and awesome and great footage, honestly, but Mm -hmm. it was really just hilarious. And the, the other funny part I really liked was when he was in college and they had his mom read the letter of him in college when it was basically just like, Hey mom, you know, I'm in college. Please send me money and please send me stamps and like basically sounding like any other college kid in the entire, you know, in the history of, of America. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought those parts were really good. Uh, I guess one thing I was thinking about that I would have liked is, uh, when he retired, the per, the teams that won in between, like one was, uh, the Houston Rockets with Hakim Olajuwon and he was really the only, like, great Star who was able to win a championship during the 90s that wasn't named Michael Jordan. And it's just, it's good because he, Jordan was able to destroy so many careers and keep all these Hall of Fame players from getting titles. But I would have been cool if they'd done like a 10, maybe, yeah, like 10 minutes on just the Hakeem's career and his trajectory and how he became this great center and his story of coming from Africa and being one of the first great success stories, international success stories. Of the NBA and how he even influenced the NBA as much as um, Michael Jordan did, not as yeah. much, but you know what I mean.
1: Who won the two in the middle there? Was it so? It was a, it was um the Rockets and then did they win both of them?
0: No, I'm pretty sure Akeem only won one. What? Who did win that year? Because so who did they? So the Bulls lost to um who did they lose to? They lost to the Wizards in that series. Magic
1: did the Magic win
0: one? No, the Magic didn't win that year. Um,
1: or they probably lost to Houston. Um.
0: 95, 96 NBA champions.
1: Oh, is, no, it's we,
0: 94,
1: 95. I remember Johnny Starks. He got that dunk on Jordan in the second game of the, or yeah, the second game of that series, in the first repeat there. But um, that was a highlight of his entire career because they went to the finals and I think they lost to the Rockets. And he went like one for 17 and completely destroyed the Knicks from winning their championship. <laughs>
0: Oh, you were right. It was the Rockets both both years, by the way.
1: Yeah, I thought they won two in a row, and they beat Orlando one day and the Knicks the other one. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and the Knicks, you know, they finally got past the Bulls because the Bulls didn't have Michael Jordan, and then they they crapped their pants. They had a chance to win that game. I watched that game too, and Johnny Starks pretty much lost that game for them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that was so. I mean, there were there were a few things I was hoping they would touch on in the in the documentary, and one of them was. Uh, Jordan, when he was in the, when he was in the minor leagues with the Birmingham Barons, about, so there's another ESPN doc called, uh, Jordan Rides the Bus. And it came out six years ago, I wanna say. And it's basically mm-hmm. about Michael Jordan with his time with the Birmingham Barons. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always talk about is how if you'd give him another year or so, he would've been playing in the majors, and then who knows where he would've been after that. And thankfully they were able to touch on that, and Terry Francona, who is basically just said like, if you give him another 5000 net bats he would have been in the MLB and that's just that's just fascinating and it just shows how much how much work ethic and just putting in that 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 much work can actually change can actually give you the chance to be great cuz it's not easy to make the MLB and even yeah. though he's a freakish athlete he's his uh his build and the way he had been lifting was just not suited for playing baseball and so he had to completely remake his body one year to play baseball and then he had to remake his body again for when he got back into the NBA and even though he was out of shape, he still got to the conference finals I mean, to, to lose to the Magic. And then obviously it shows just how um, how much that fed his uh, his competitive drive to want to keep winning and make it even better. And then obviously he comes back and has arguably the greatest season of any team ever. Uh, so, yeah, that's
1: that was Did the you, other one. I
0: can't, re- I can't remember yeah. the other one. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it. I'll get back to you.
1: Yeah, I think of the other one, another question I had is, was there anything that you saw in this documentary that you – didn't know happened or didn't remember it happening the way they showed it or it was enlightening in some way. And I can give you an example because I it totally flew over my head at the time, and I, I have no excuse. I was in my mid-20s. I wasn't a baby like you were. Um, that sounded funny. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, physically you were very young. That's what I mean. Yes. Um, it was the whole story around the Olympics and where he didn't want the Reebok's logo mm. to be attached to him. And so he put the American flag over him. I had no idea that that happened. Like, mm-hmm. it totally flew. <laughs> and there's, I like those parts of it. Maybe it's the international part of the documentary. It, it kind of, even though we, we were told it and we knew it and, you know, he was popular and wah, wah, wah. One thing that this documentary really did was it, it showed up close and personal how they were a, a phenomenon around the entire globe, not mm-hmm. just in the United States. There we go.
0: Yeah, and I think getting uh, back to something you said about the whole thing with Tony Kukoc, and I, I can't remember where I heard it before, but basically Jordan and Pippen, they liked playing on the road more than they liked playing at home because they would be able to showcase what they have to And be able to shut down a home team at home, it would just it just made them feel so much better. And so that it's the whole idea of Jordan having sort of like this chip on his shoulder, or even creating chips to be put on his shoulder in order to motivate him to dominate. And that and I was I heard about Tony Kukoc about how Jerry Krause basically was courting Tony Kukoc to come in to be drafted and almost be a replacement to Pippen, and how they both took that so personally that when they played the. the, I think it was the Croatian team. I it was like the, I can't remember what team was it was. It was Yugoslavian or something. Croatian. Um, was it Croatian? Okay. When yeah. they played the Croatians in the um, in the Olympics, they just made a point to just not let Kuko score, and so they just they just tore him apart that entire first game, and it was so not fair to Tony Kukoc because he's just this young kid. He's like he has no idea that Jordan Kuko, uh, uh, Jordan and Pippen are, are coming after him, and he just gets you know blindsided by the two greatest you know defenders of all time and yeah, i was really hoping they covered that and i was happy that they did
1: that was the epitome of microcosm of the inexcusable petulant character of Jordan and Pippen i mean mm-hmm. you got a guy who's a kid he is a child yeah and you got two players who've been in the nba for years grown men and they take that so personally that that's what they're going to do. Like that just that was to me extremely childish. And I think that in your not, you're not just doing it with Scotty and Pippen in your Chicago Bulls, which they would have done by the way, they would have still beaten the Croatian mm-hmm. team. But you're doing it with a team full of the greatest players of all time.
0: I was going to say it's just funny how you can kind of get mad at it and see it as being immature and childish, which I guess it is. But at the same time, I love that so much because it just shows how insanely competitive, like, you know, like to a point where detrimental to a point where it's a detriment even to him as a character, if not him as a basketball player, because it didn't hurt him, you know, you know, it, it didn't hurt his play on the court. And then the icing on the cake to that story is that Jerry Krause still drafted Tony Kukoc and he became vital to their to their second three-peat, which is just. I guess the question is would Tony Kugovich be as good if he didn't get demolished by the dream team in that in that in that Olympics, or would it, how much of it would it have changed or did it kind of prepare him for what he should expect when he got to the Bulls?
1: That's why I think the documentary did a good job like that. He didn't expect to get mauled like that, which he said that. Yeah. And then he turned around and played a lot better than the second game. hmm And when he came over to the Bulls, you didn't hear anything. He didn't complain. He didn't hear any whining, complaining. Um, he didn't cry because he didn't get put in a game or whatever. Yeah, I, at least I didn't hear those narratives. And at the time. So I think he was just a strong person. And so, I mean, that's what I, I did think that that was pretty petulant. And that's yeah. where I think when, if I were to point anything out to Pippin, Like, instead of being so competitive against Tony Kukoc on the floor, maybe get a little competition in your loins when you're at the bargaining table, which was, by the way, happening at the same time. Like, do that piece. Get that figured out. Like, like, stand up and be a man there versus, you know, show how much of a man you are against a player who has a far less talented team and who's five or six years younger than you are or whatever. So, I don't know yeah there you go (laughs) it
0: it wasn't even about tony kukoc it was it was it was about jerry Krause, and it just it does such a great job of illustrating how strained that relationship was between the three of them and how almost um unreconcilable it was especially then and by the end and it just really makes sense of why they couldn't do the seventh year even if they even if they all wanted to it probably wouldn't have worked out and there's there's no guarantee they would have won so um yeah, I guess those were some of my favorite parts. Uh, the part, the whole stuff with Kerr's backstory and his father, uh, going to Lebanon and being assassinated, I mean, that was, that was really touching. And so, like, that, and then, um, Jordan winning the, his first title after his father died, like, those are, yeah. those, like, those are, I, I was pretty much crying at those points, and, 'Cause you you get all that backstory about how important Jordan's father was to him and how he was at every game and he's always next to him when he wins championships and then he finally wins that first one after his father dies and he's just alone. Because there's like, you know, he has a team, sure, but it's really he's really alone. And and then I really liked how they showed Gus, who was like the head of the security, became like, you know, his surrogate father almost, and how he was there. And it's almost like a like a where's Waldo thing where you he, you don't know about it because they don't talk about Gus till I think the second to last episode of the season. And then you start seeing all the video and Gus is there every single time. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, dude, this guy's awesome. And you just realize mm-hmm. that even though you can make this argument that it's Jordan did all on his own and he was just a singular force, how important um, not only having that person, that support figure there to be there to help, help him through it, but have that father figure there and how important that was to him And how important that should be to all of us to be able that you're just not going to do it on your own. You need that person there, those people there in order to help keep you sane and to keep you leveled through all through all of it.
1: Yeah, I think that kind of segues into another interesting part of the documentary, which was the cast of unseemly people in the background that he would go (laughs) golfing with (laughs) and lose money to (laughs) I think my laugh out loud moments came when they showed these guys either on the cover of a magazine or just walking into a courtroom because they were, you know, someone was suing somebody or charged with a crime. And I never knew that that part was going on. Um, I guess I wasn't as plugged in as I probably needed to be, but I didn't realize that he was, you know, losing that kind of money. But as soon as you showed, they showed the guys walking, like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't play a game of golf against that guy. Yeah, but well, number like, one, I'm not I'm not very good at golf, but go ahead, Eric.
0: Well, yeah, you just hear the stories about how he would basically go with the opposing team's best players and just go play golf with them Uh before finals games, before playoff series, and he would play golf, you know, 36 holes before a game. And you're just like, what the hell? how is that even possible? I know. And and I, it just like part of it was because he's just just crazy like that, and he just didn't care. Um, it also just is kind of funny because you just wouldn't get away with that the today. Like imagine hearing that, you know, uh, LeBron James played thirty six, you know, holes of golf before a finals game. Like he would be destroyed for that. And he also probably wouldn't be able to play at the level that he could or he can if he did that beforehand. And it's just funny because he just his competitiveness never stopped. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he would get stopped by other things, sure, but that's that's what I, I think was a really good part of this documentary is they really just showed the competitiveness. And I think the best part is with um Mm-hmm. The security guards uh, in, like, the kind of back room. And the yeah. guy, his name, is, his name is John Michael Wozniak. He's the dude with, like, the, the giant jerry curl mullet. And they're playing the quarters game where he's are trying to shoot quarters against the wall. And John wins. This guy wins. and <laughs> He does the, the Jordan shrug. And Jordan, you can just tell, is just pissed that he lost, even though it's just a meaningless game. And he just can't ever turn it off. And yeah, that's what I think this, this doc really needed to show is that Jordan he couldn't he probably couldn't turn it off if he wanted to. It was just how he was wired. And that was just that was just a great little piece of, uh, of, of history.
1: Yeah. So as we kind of wind down this uh, discussion, we'll end by sharing our favorite championship series. So Eric, do you want? Maybe I'll have you go last because you're the fan. You're the Chicago Bulls fan. Yeah, you go ahead. You go first. My first is the very first one. Mm -hmm. And even though it was against my favorite team, it was, i watched every single game in it, and I was with uh, people that I was close friends with, and we were, I remember that year before the Lakers made that finals, I had watched them play against the Portland Trail Blazers, and they really had no business winning that game. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Magic Johnson like threw a loose ball up in the air, and it's it seemed to hang in the rafters like for 20 <laughs> seconds before it bounced down on the crowd, and it ate up so much time off the clock that Portland didn't have a chance to come down and and win, you know score the winning bucket. Otherwise, the Portland Trailblazers, your tra- Portland Trailblazers would have been in the championship uh, series two years in a row, but. Um, I just thought it was wonderful the way Paxson played such a a um, huge role in that fifth and deciding game against the Lakers, and that's also the series where Jordan had that that kind of um, in and out kind of layup and foul in the in one of those games that's iconic that we look a back spectacular at. Spectacular move. Yes, so a I am <laughs> going. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. How about you, Eric?
0: So for me it's definitely gotta be the final season, the last dance season, because that's the one I actually remember watching and actually being like uh you know, kind of actually 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 having memories about it. Like I remember in the Eastern Conference finals against the Pacers when Reggie Miller hits that game winner and he fouls Jordan beforehand, I'm just screaming at the TV like it's a foul, goddamn it and I'm like <laughs> eight years old I think at that point. And yeah. then um when he when he gets the game winning shot and my whole family just completely freaks out and loses it. And, I mean, even then, like, my, you know, my dad was telling me, like, this is going to be their final season. Like, they're they're going to all retire or quit after this. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. Um, But even back then, you kind of, it was just known that this was going to be the last season that they, that they're all going to be together and that they're all going to win. And it's just really awesome getting to see this documentary now and seeing how, yeah, it pretty much was the last year. And there was really, at that point. There was very little they could do to reconcile in order to be able to try and get a seventh year or more. And it's just amazing how the story played out so that it had to end like that. And it ends in probably the most poetic fashion, where he hits the game winner over Byron Russell, or Brian Russell, uh, with the push off. Um, and then obviously he comes back with the Wizards in 2001, but we just we don't talk about that. That didn't, that didn't actually, that was like a fever dream more than anything.
1: Yes, yes, we like to keep it in the fever dream category, which is a nice connection to that final game. And I'm so glad that you acknowledged that there wasn't a, a significant push off. <laughs> but how many people, if you really think about it, how many people could push a six foot seven individual off of them, maintain control of your basketball, move to your left, and then shoot, seamlessly shoot an 18 footer that goes in?
0: Yeah, and then like the thing about that is that his his uh, momentum was already going that way. So like you know, Jordan definitely touched him, but whether or not he pushed him, I think is up for debate. Um, <laughs> and whether it's out of a foul is even more of a debate. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that it, I think it was called perfectly. I think the ref did a great job. And yeah. um, screw the screw screw the Jazz. They don't deserve to win.
1: They didn't deserve the win. When do the Jazz ever deserve to win an NBA championship? They don't. Okay. No, they don't.
0: I mean, Carmelo stole to you know an MVP from Michael Jordan. So as far as I'm concerned, he can. I'm totally fine with him never winning a title.
1: That's really the reason why they didn't win the finals, by the way, because he put a craw in the Michael Jordans. <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna win this because you took an MVP vote away from me. Um, so, as you can tell, we obviously had a lot of fun with this. I loved it uh, for the nostalgia. I loved it for the history. Um, it was great to relive. Uh, these memories and it's, it's not often when they put out a documentary that has the entire nation waiting for its release at eight o'clock PM on Sunday nights.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing is that because it wasn't a Netflix documentary, it wasn't all at once. So you could just watch all the episodes at once. Cause I definitely would have done that. And instead they were able to stretch out over five weeks and really get the country. It would give the country something to talk about, something to, to, to have anticipation for. Um and yeah, I guess just looking back on it, I've been doing this is for me especially it's been a, a Bulls and Jordan love fest this entire pod and yeah, you can say I'm kind of just a, a homer, but guess what like I don't care because right. Chicago hasn't won anything in a long time and at the very least we still have Michael Jordan regardless of what happens and for the rest of eternity, we still have Michael Michael Jordan as the person we get to brag about and um I don't care what anyone else has to say about that.
1: You know what, that is a perfect way to end this episode. So for now, and until next time, so long.